Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will finish his Monday through Wednesday message from Genesis on the importance of preparing. This message is available at friendshipwithgod.org for free download. Now here's some highlights from this week's messages. Mercy endures forever. His mercy is mercy is mercy. That's the characteristic that you see about God. The characteristic that you see, and it starts off, it's referenced here in Psalm 36, verse 5. Loving kindness. Now here's Tom Cantor with our final message from Genesis this week. Life, mercy, loving kindness, life. Preservest. Don't let that word go. Preservest. Preservest. Now, what do we see as the characteristic here? The loving kindness of God, that super loving kindness, that super abundant love. All these preparations that God did on earth to prepare man, they represent choices of the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose to do it this way. And when we see the earth and how it is and the beauty of it, then we get to see, oh, I recognize the Lord Jesus Christ. I can smell the Lord Jesus Christ in this creation. You know, when our boys were, were little, David and Joseph, they, they shared a room. All three boys had to share a room. But anyway, we had bunks, bunk beds. And they were each very, very particular because they were crammed in the same room as to what was theirs and what was his, what was Joseph's and what was David's. And if anyone ever took something from the other, you'd hear this shrill, Mom! You know, he took my, you know, whatever. Anyway, and so, you know, it was very particular. These are mine and these are yours, you know. And so, but every morning they made their beds. And, and the problem was that they both had identical pillows and pillow covers. Just identical. That's set up for a real problem. But when they made their beds, and they, and they would just throw their pillows in the middle of the room. And then they'd make their bed. It was a real setup for a real problem here, you know. But it was never a problem. It was never a problem. You know why? Because they knew their pillow by the smell, the distinctive smell. That's the way they told it. They had a smell all right, but anyway. They, <laughs> and they could tell whose pillow was whose. And so one whiff, and they, ah, that's your pillow, you know. <laughs> and, that's, you know. and that's the way it was. That's the way this creation is. This creation has a distinctive smell of the Lord Jesus Christ in it. You can tell that he made it. You know right away he did this. He, with his mercy, with his loving kindness, with his care, with his sending, with his working, left and right, so much work, you're getting exhausted looking at it. Okay, I'll make the lights here. Then wait a minute. Did you stay there? I'll come back to you later. All of that is part of him and what he did. That's why Psalm 36.6 is very important when it uses that word preserve. He did all this to preserve. You know, there are two wrong concepts that people have today about who God is. One, they think, well, God is not loving and he doesn't care enough for me and he has no thought about my preservation and if I die, I die. And that's not true. That's not what you see in Genesis 1. You see tremendous preparation to preserve man as King, as David, king of Israel, told us in Psalm 36. Tremendous preparation. Not like David Silverman, the president of the American Society of Atheists, who, who said, if there's anyone on this planet that wants to live more, I the more, you know what I'm trying to say. He said, I am the one who wants to live forever more than anybody else, he said. But he has a misconception about who God is. The second misconception about God is that he doesn't even care about what I do in life. 
and I'm going to go to heaven anyway. That's not true either, because as we'll see in, in Genesis, he is holy. And because he is holy, he gives specific commands to man. And when we break those commands, there must be a sacrifice to preserve man. To preserve man. So this verse tells us that God's goal in Psalm 36 was to preserve man. You think he went to all that trouble of trying to preserve man in Genesis so that man can just perish at the end? Even for No, no. That's not the God we are studying about here. The God who prepared the earth for man also made a way to preserve man after he sinned. After he sinned. Each, every, we've all sinned. Every one of us has sinned. We set our course on a road and a course to destruction, to, per, to, to perish. And the God who put his whole heart into creating in Genesis 1 is the same God who put not only his heart, his body into, a, in, into becoming a man so that he could die for man's sins so that now man can have this choice. You accept this or you reject it, but God has prepared a way to preserve man, just as he did here in the creation. And then he rose again as we're celebrating today. On the third day, there was a tremendous amount of work that went into God's preparation for the earth. It was an elaborate work. It was a complicated work, and it was a symphonic work. Many parts of it were working together. And that's the same way that he has done in our redemption. Because The key word here is, what is the word for the chapter? Prepare, right? Prepare. That's the word. Turn to John 14, 2. My father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to what? Prepare a place for you. Can't you picture the time before the creation when God, the Lord Jesus Christ, turned to God the Father and said words similar to this? He said, I go to prepare a place for man called earth, a wonderful place. In that, same, in that same way, the great preparer turned to his disciples and he said the same thing. I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. He could have said, just like I said, he could have said to his disciples, just like I said to my father, I go to prepare a place called earth for a man. Now I go to prepare a place for you. And how interesting, can you, can you imagine Adam when he first opened his eyes what do you think it would have been like for Adam if he would have sat there and said, well, I see, you know, I see the plants and I see the trees, but they need water to survive, Lord. Have you thought about that? <laughs> he said, did you think about a therapist for me too? Anyway, he, he didn't say that because he trusted and he found out. He trusted and he found out. I see the light here, Lord, but did you set up some kind of, I need some sleep. Do you set up some kind of, did you remember to make a dimmer switch? On this light, it's kind of bright here. can't sleep in this light. God said, I got you covered, Adam. I got you covered. Automatic dimmer switch slowly goes down, slowly comes up. I got it. Now, it would have been foolish for Adam to ask those questions because God works so hard to prepare the earth. It would have been foolish for Adam to say, "Um, you know, I I appreciate what you did here, but boy, I wish I could do a little bit of creating here because you missed something, right? Just like someone who says, I appreciate what you did when you died on the cross for my sins, but I need to add my good works to this, this formula that's just as foolish. Now, in the same way, it's foolish for us to worry what's going to happen to us after we die. 
when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly, but we trust the God preparer, the great preparer God. Because when he said, and as he did, that he prepared all this in the earth, and we can see it, when he said, I go to prepare a place for you, he's preparing a wonderful place for us in a place called the Father's house in heaven. And he worked hard. He worked hard by his ministry here on earth also to prepare us to, uh, to go to heaven so that he could say at the end of his ministry in John 17, 4, I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work, the preparation work for his ministry on earth. Then he worked so hard at that. And then when he came to prepare us by his redemption work on the cross to prepare us to go to heaven, then he said when it was all done in John 19, 30, it's finished it's finished. The great preparer could say, it's finished. So we started with a question. Why did God make man at the end of the sixth day? At the end of the sixth day. Why did he make him earlier? There's one more reason why God did, and that is given to us, and please turn to that in uh, Job. In uh, Job chapter 38, verse 4. And this whole chapter of Job 38 is dedicated to this reason why God waited until the sixth day to create. The whole chapter 38, we're not going to read it this morning, but you can read it. Job 38. But I'm going to take you two verses here in Job 38 to show you the reason why. Verse 38, it says, Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. This is the part where God says, I don't remember seeing you there then. All right? <laughs> That's the summary of this chapter 38. I don't remember seeing you there then. Okay, And in verse 21, knowest thou it because thou wast then born? Do you know when all this happened? Because you were born back there, you weren't born then. Or because the number of thy days is so great, they weren't. Why did he wait until the sixth day to create man? Because he wanted it to be crystal clear who this all came from. The stage was totally set for Adam. Everything was prepared for him. It was all prepared for man. It was all prepared for man. So that when God, when God finally got around to, to, to bringing man in, he was just saying, there now. Now we can do it. Let us make man in our image, you know? It's just like, uh, it's just like when you have a dinner or something like that, and you know there's hot apple pie and ice cream at the end. You have to eat all the other stuff first. And you go, now, bring the apple pie and the ice cream, right? And that's what God did here. Let us make man in our image. Here's the best. We're going to make them now. But he wants us to be humble. He wants us to be a humble people. He wants us to realize that he didn't even make us there to, to, so that we could say, well, okay, maybe I didn't do it, but I gave him advice. <laughs> I told him how to do it. No, 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 no. He said, no, at the very end, all done, and I'll bring you in. And he says in Psalm, he says in Psalm 920 about the, the lost, Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men, just men. Psalm 100, verses 3 through 4 says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God, he, it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. He wants us to be a people of thanksgiving. That's why it says also in Psalm 136, 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, as we already saw, for his mercy endures forever. There's a plague on this earth today. It's spoken about in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 12. We've got to make sure we don't have that plague. That plague is being unthankful. In the last days, this know also. In the last days, perilous times shall come. It gives a list, and one of them is unthankful. 
That's what we don't want to be guilty of today. So we have this wonderful God that we've seen here. We've seen all that he has done and the great work that he's done to prepare for us in the creation. And we realize that he's doing a great work in preparing for us a place in heaven. We trust him. We see that man was brought in so that at the very end, so that man would be humble, that man would be thankful. And that sets us up. That sets us up for how we should live. Humble before God who gives us everything and thankful for all he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being for us a God of such loving kindness, such mercy, such preparations for us, and such a preserver of life. Thank you so much. And on this day, what could be more precious to us to remember your preserving of life than your rising from the dead? So we can follow you in resurrection life to heaven to live with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how it enlightens and teaches us. In Jesus' name, amen. Tom, you talked today about the distinctive smell that your son's pillow had. Now, does the Bible use the illustration of God as having a distinctive smell? Yes, it does. In the Song of Solomon, in the third verse of the book, Song of Solomon 1, verse 3, it reads like this. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. You know, that's a wonderful picture. Thy name is as ointment poured forth. You know, whenever I speak about about the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a habit, and that habit is to use his full name. I don't call him Jesus. I don't call him Christ. I don't call him Jesus Christ. I call him the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I do that? Because his full name, the Lord Jesus Christ, is as ointment poured forth. What am I talking about? You can be in a group. And you, there can be people in there who are taking the Lord's name in vain and they're saying, oh, Jesus this or Christ and so forth. You just have to say the full name, the Lord Jesus Christ, in any context at all. And that ointment is so strong that it could covers the whole room and people will stop it. And sometimes they'll even say to me, oh, I'm sorry. And I'll say to them, you don't have to apologize to me. It's not my name. But you see, there's power in his name. When you say the Lord, you're speaking about God, the only God. When you say Jesus, you're talking about the one who, who God saves, God is using to save us. When you talk about Christ, you're talking about the Messiah, the sent one, the one who was sent from heaven. You put all those names together, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have a powerful term. That's why I love to call him the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a proclamation and it's a spreading of a precious fragrance of which the Bible calls thy name is as ointment poured forth. I would, I would recommend it to you to begin to speak of him with his full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you watch if within places where you are, if all of a sudden the atmosphere doesn't change. Why? Because when you say the Lord Jesus Christ, you have opened the precious, the bottle 
of the precious fragrance, and you've let the fragrance fill the whole room. Thy name is as ointment. And the Lord Jesus Christ forth. is a beautiful name. But you also mentioned today, too, kind of a name that's an antithesis to that, which is David Silverman, the president of the American Society of Atheists, who said that there is no one on the planet that wants to live forever more than him. Now, if God wants David Silverman to live forever, and David Silverman wants to live forever, what is the problem with David Silverman living forever with eternal life? Well, it was astounding to me when I saw David Silverman say that. When he said that, I could, it, it, it broke my heart. Because I could hear David Silverman crying out from the depths of his heart, I want to live forever. And it was a real heartbreak. And I know God. I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that God wants David Silverman to live forever. He said that. He has, God has said that in 1 Timothy 2.4. Speaking of God, it says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world, including David Silverman. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, including David Silverman, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's just like you said. David Silverman wants to live forever. God wants David Silverman to live forever. What's the problem? What's the issue? The issue is Isaiah 59, 1 through 3, where God said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. So what he's saying? He's saying when it comes to the issue of David Silverman living forever, there's no problem with God's hand. He doesn't have a short hand that he can't save David Silverman. It says, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Again, God's saying, there's no problem that I can't hear David Silverman say, as he did, uh, there's nobody on the planet that wants to live forever. God can say, I heard that. I don't have a hearing problem. I heard that. So what's the problem? He says in verse 2 of Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue has uttered perverseness. What's the issue? S-I-N. The sin issue has to be dealt with. David Silverman or anybody who wants to live forever has to come to God on God's terms. And God's terms are, The sin issue has to be dealt with first. I dealt with it on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where he died for your sins. You must receive him as your Lord and Savior in order to live forever. And Tom, you also raised the question of, is it logical for God to have created so much for a man's life to see him perish at the end of it like David Silverman? Now, what else does the Bible say to support that it was never God's plan to see men perish? It wasn't. God is a very, very thoughtful God. God is a planning God. God is a preparing God. God is an intentional God. And what you see in the creation is God planning, preparing, and intending for man to live forever. That's what God did. That's who God is. 
It would be absolutely ludicrous to think of this God who plans, prepares, and does things with such intention to just walk away and say, ah, let man perish. No, 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 no. And furthermore, not only did God do everything external in preparation and planning for God, for for man to live forever, but the mere fact that David Silverman says, I want to live forever. Why does he say that? Because of what it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says there, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart. Now, the Hebrew for world is olam. So it says, he has set the olam in his heart. What's olam? Well, if you're Jewish and you were in Hebrew and you were in synagogue, then you learned the, the, the song, Adon Olam. Adon is Lord. Olam is everlasting or eternal. So it, Olam means eternal or eternity. So what this verse is saying is that God has set eternity into the heart of man. So because man has a yearning to live forever, he has a yearning for eternal life. David Silverman has a yearning to not perish and live forever. Where did that that yearning come from that's inside of David Silverman's heart? It came from God. It says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God set eternity, olam, in the heart of of David Silverman. Therefore, he reaches, he cries, he wants God with all of his heart. He wants to live forever. He doesn't want to perish. He's right in line with the God of 1 Timothy 2.4, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's why God says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because they will not come to the knowledge of the truth. They will not come to the one who said he is the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. They will not come to the truth that he is God come in the flesh. They will not come to the knowledge of the truth that he became a man so that he could die for our sins, and he died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. And all you have to do is receive him as Lord and Savior. Because they will not come to the knowledge of that truth, God says, tragically, they are destroyed. And God laments it this way when he says, my people are destroyed for lack of Tom, you also taught us today that one reason that God waited until the sixth day to create man was because God did not want man to take credit for the creation. Tell us a little bit about why. Yeah, that's right. I mean, to God be all the credit. Stand back, look at the creation. I'm a scientist. I'm a biochemist. I have an undergraduate degree in biochemistry. God uh, made me fortunate to go to a very research-oriented school, the University of California at San Diego. I was a third graduating class, and it was a very exciting time on campus. Everybody was doing research. The professors were standing up. They weren't reading out of books. Most of the time they said, yeah, you read the book yourself. Now let me tell you about the excitement of my research. So I was really uh, got, a, got, got immersed in 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 uh, in science and research and biochemistry and then God en- enabled me to st- uh, start the company the research the we're a research science company among other things as well but what's so wonderful is that the more that you study 
about God's creation, the more you stand back and you say, you know what, God, hats off to you. Ah, what a great job you did on that one. What a beautiful enzyme, God. Oh, split-second reaction, oxygen being released by hemoglobin and so forth. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And that's what you do as a scientist. But I'm not ignorant to know that not all the scientists believe that way. And I ask myself the question, why? And God answers the question in Romans 1, 19 through 20. He says, because that which may be known of God, in other words, he's so powerful, he's such a great creator. He says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they were without excuse. Whenever I meet an atheist, a colleague of mine, uh, you know, we have uh, 50 peer-reviewed articles, so that means we have colleagues that are scientists, and they tell me, Tom, uh, I'm an atheist. I believe in evolution. I don't say anything. I put my hand on their shoulder, and I said, I hope you recover, because these things are clearly seen. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as we start a new message called God Made. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent to them? We can send them directly a Tom Cantor Testimony DVD or Tom Cantor Testimony Booklet. Just call us today at 1-800-247-3051. And we can help you to fulfill God's command to go to his lost nation of Jewish people first. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051 and we can help you to get the gospel to them. Many of us know Jewish people, whether it's a lawyer, a doctor, a businessman, friend, neighbor, co-worker, or maybe even a Jewish family member that we have. We want to reach them and let us help you. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. Join us again tomorrow at the same time.